We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Presented by WinBet. Check out winbet.com for all of your sports wagering needs. Uh, a ton of content uh, available on WinBet and the WinBet Sportsbook. Uh, Alex, we have a ton to get to today on this Wednesday edition uh, of the Roadwire NBA pod. I want to start with Lakers Celtics from last night. Then we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, Blazers report that kind of continues to unfold uh, over these last few days with, with you know, kind of the, the Neil O'Shea slash Woj side going up against the uh, Chris Haynes slash Damian Lillard side of things. Uh, not really sure how that's going to play out. Then we'll talk about the the Indiana Pacers um, potentially moving toward trading at least two of Karis LeVert, Miles Turner, and DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, we learned more about that on Tuesday. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a bunch of trade stuff, um, and then we'll finish up with a few other random items. But uh, going back to Lakers Celtics from last night, uh, I had this in the background while I was I was kind of binge catching up on succession. I was embarrassingly three episodes behind. Uh, I am now fully caught up. I want to quell any of the rumors that I'm not caught up. I am. Um, but I had this game on, on the other TV. I, from what I saw was arguably the best win of the season for the Lakers, which is saying a lot because Boston was without you know, easily the second best player in Jalen Brown. Uh, but this was a rare game where the Lakers, it felt like they played a complete 48 minutes. They played well. Uh, almost the entire game there wasn't like a an eight minute period where they just like turned it over 10 times and didn't score at all and Russell Westbrook is you know flopping around the court um th- this felt like collectively you know one of the best games that the Davis LeBron Westbrook trio has played together yeah it was um not exactly a wire to wire win but the Lakers really pulled away from the second quarter onward um the the Celtics offense just kind of turned into Jason Tatum like shooting a bunch of 16 footers and three pointers. And I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily tell if that was like a function of the Lakers strong defense or 
whether in or not it was just like take him kind of trying to take over um but the only other thing like i really thought about the celtics offense was like just watching schroeder do left side uh baseline drives uh, try to do a left-handed layup which is what we've been watching him do for like half a decade and somehow he's still scoring 18 a game um but yeah they made the celtics look like pretty bad even though robert williams had some highlight plays above the rim um yeah lakers look just coherent and like for them that's the baseline at this point it's like can you just look yes. coherent despite having all this talent on the court you know, winning a game that you're supposed to win at home against a shorthanded <laughs> opponent is like a massive yeah. victory for this Lakers team. But hey, you know, they, as they will remind you, Kendrick Dunn has not played yet for this team. Trevor right. Ariza has not played a single minute for this team. Once a 37-year-old Trevor Ariza's back, everything's going to be different. Uh, but this was a, a super efficient game for LeBron, 13 of 19 from the field. Uh, did only get to the line twice, which continues to be somewhat of a concern uh, for LeBron, although that free throw rate's been a little bit better uh, the last couple weeks than it was early on. Uh, only took five threes, which LeBron's, you know, there's kind of this, you know, dual narrative where it's like LeBron's taking too many threes, but he's also like shooting them at a, at a decent clip by LeBron's standards. So it's not really the worst thing in the world. You know, for a while there, it felt like he was taking like 10 a game, um, but he's hitting, you know, hovering around 35%, which is kind of where he's been uh, for most of this phase of his career, which which is okay. Uh, but again, the free throw attempts, uh, kind of an issue and, and certainly something to keep an eye on. I, I thought this was kind of the perfect Anthony Davis game where he only scored 17 points, only took 13 shots, um, but did not take a single three-pointer, uh, focused his efforts defensively, had 16 rebounds in 35 minutes, had three assists, two steals, two blocks. It's been a really weird season, you know, trying to evaluate Anthony Davis. Um, he, he ironically is the one who stayed more healthy uh, between he and LeBron. Um, it, it does feel like he's maybe having a fantasy basketball season than he is like real life impact. And part of that is, He's just struggling so much as a jump shooter. But I think defensively, he's really bounced back from kind of a so-so year in that regard last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it a few times where it was like guys were going to the rim against Davis and they just like would act like like they wanted to drive and get to the rim. And then they saw Davis and were, were either kicking out or were mm -hmm. like altering their shot to the point where it just became like a complete desperate heave. And half the time they're throwing that up and Davis was swatting him anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, main thing I love to see for Davis is four offensive rebounds. I think that's good for him um, to hang around there. I mean, he played center in this game. They started him at center. And so when he's able, I, you know, I've, I've said this plenty of times. I think he, he is best as a center when he's focusing on doing everything in the paint offensively and defensively. And we kind of got the full package, you know, aside from he didn't score 20 points, but that was okay. Like he, he didn't need to. Um, he was he was being a great teammate. Right. And he had scored at least 20 and seven straight coming into this game and like 12 of his last 14. So the scoring actually has been there this year. Part of that has been, you know, LeBron missing some time during that span and, and Westbrook being so up and down. But, you know, his last 15 games, he's basically been a 4.0 steals plus box player, which is pretty much what you expect from Anthony Davis. And when he was at his absolute peak, I mean, he was closer to five blocks and steals per game. You know, I think it was his third year in the league. He was at 2.9 blocks and 1.5 steals. Um, and he's had a couple other seasons where he's approached, you know, four and a half, five uh, in that regard. But where do you come in on this this debate that I've now heard from a few sources, um, you know, podcasts, people on Twitter? Like some people think Anthony Davis has gotten too big. Obviously, he when he first came into the league, he kind of looked like some of those early photos of Giannis and, he, and he's put on a ton of weight. But do you think it, it definitely looks like he's bulked up maybe an extra 10 or 15 pounds over the last year or two? 
do you think he's gotten too big? Like, to, to you, does it look like he's lost some of that explosiveness or some of that mobility that he had during his peak, peak years with the Pelicans? I, I, I don't know. I think just in general, I think when a guy is injury prone, he, they should be trying to lose weight in general. Um, you know, sometimes like there are freak injuries that happen that don't necessarily have to do with your weight, but when they happen to be lower body, usually it's like, Hey, maybe, you know, you don't need to be however, like you could lose 20 pounds or whatever. I mean, if, you know, if Davis is going to play center, you in theory want him to bulk up a little bit, but I, I do think the version of Anthony Davis that is best is probably this, like, just a, a hybrid between like small forward, power forward center, like not dissimilar from Giannis physically, I guess. Um, and like Davis can dribble and he can run in transition. I, I do think the best version of Davis probably is one where he's a little slimmer, more athletic, uh, easier for him to do stuff like on the ball and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a case to be made for both, because if he is playing more centered, then I think bulking up and, and being able to you know not be pushed around by by the Joel Embiid's of the world is a good thing. But there are also like you know, the amount of guys that have that kind of Embiid like physicality, like you can count those guys on one hand in the modern NBA, right? right? Like I, I almost feel like he bulked up to prepare to play in like 2008. And like those, those guys just like don't really exist anymore. So like there's, and he, he was already big enough in like 2018 where, you know, there are still a couple guys who could probably take advantage of him leverage wise. Um, I'm thinking someone even like current day Giannis, you know, there's very few guys who can match him physically if anyone. Um, but I, I just don't I, like night tonight. I, I just don't think that's really a necessity anymore to have like this burly 270 pound center who can, who can match up against the other burly 270 pound center on the other team. Like those guys have kind of been phased out. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, what the problem is in this respect is that he bulked up, but in my opinion, doesn't use his physicality to his advantage. Sure. It feels like he just put a bunch of weight on to like, just kind of just to put weight on, you know, like he's not, he's not catching the ball in the post and just throwing his entire body into people and trying to do these like, you know, drop step into a dunk kind of a thing. It's like he's he's put on a ton of weight and he's like, oh, I'm going to use that to do turnaround jumpers and like fade away 18 footers. It's like, no, if you're going to put on that weight, like use it, go to the rack hard, make people feel you. So it's kind of um, that's I think that's where we are kind of like where where people kind of have differing opinions on it is he's not really using the weight he's putting on and it kind of feels like it's just furthering an injury risk situation. That is a really good point. He hasn't changed his game really at all. And you know, when you when you watch, like it, it does seem like maybe it's affected his balance. He's never been a guy who is like extremely graceful out there. He's kind of always on the floor, but it, it does seem like that's been worse lately. Where anytime he's going to the hole, whether he's whether there's a defender around, whether he takes contact or not, it seems like like a you know a wide open fast break layup somehow ends with him like in the second row grabbing <laughs> at his knee, and then you know they call a timeout and he's totally fine after that. Like it's it's actually amazing uh, the the ratio of like his career's over to, oh, he's actually not going to miss any time in this in this single game uh, type of injuries that he's had, especially these last couple of years. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see You know, if, if the Lakers can build on this at all. They're now 13 and 12 on the year. They, they get the red hot Grizzlies uh, at Memphis on Thursday. Uh, then, I mean, they've already lost to the Thunder twice this year, right? They, they play at OKC on Friday. So that should be a winnable game. But, I mean, history suggests who knows. Uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, they, they go into a uh, Thunder Magic back-to-back uh, before Ooh. heading out on the road for, for a much tougher stretch. So, uh, you know, potential here that they'll be favored, I would think, to win 
their next three games against Memphis, OKC, and Orlando. So at least a chance here for LA to put together a little bit of momentum. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to talk about the Trailblazers report. And James and I went in on this on Monday, uh, right after it came out. Um, but, you know, we've, we've kind of had some more back and forth from each side over these last two days. Yeah, there, there was that that Woj article that, to me, at least kind of sounded like a, a mouthpiece for Neil O'Shea. Basically, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was like a smear campaign against Dame. But if, if you really read between the lines, it, that's kind of what they were saying, essentially, is that, you know, Damian Lillard's camp, is trying to influence the GM decision to get someone who will give him, you know, the the like veteran supermax that would end up tacking on two more max years to his contract in in his age 35 and age 36 seasons. And you know, we've seen Dame, you know, kind of in his uniquely Dame way, try to refute this on Twitter and Instagram. Um, to me, it, it just seems like Lillard is trying to play both sides, where you know he's really trying hard to maintain you know, the, the the kind of public persona of like the guy who's not leaving, the guy who has been anti-super teams for the last decade. Um, but as has been the case for pretty much every other star, like if you want to compete, you kind of have to either form your own super team or join a super team. And the way he wants to go about this, it seems, is to form as close to a super team as he can in Portland. But but given a lot of the restrictions with that market and, and more importantly, you know, some of the salaries that they're kind of backed into a corner with right now, it's it's just infinitely more feasible for him to leave Portland and join a better team. But uh, obviously I, I think knowing who Dame is like, there's, there's a clear resistance to, to going that path. Yeah, obviously there's like a, a tongue of dynamics going on here. I mean, first of all, if you are Lillard and his camp or anyone of that talent level, of course you're asking for a, a super max extension. Like that's, that's where you start. Like it's all a negotiation. You start at, I want the most money possible. Um, and then you work from there. So that part of it, I don't, that doesn't honestly like mean anything to me. No, uh, I, but I do think Woj, like that article was very much focused on like the point of the article is Damian Lillard cares more about being the highest paid player at right. age 35 than he does anything else. And I, you know, who knows how true that actually is. Probably not as true as the article implied. I agree. The spin on the article was definitely like anti-Dame, um, where it's like Dame knows the restrictions of the market. Why is he trying to do this to us? He's 31. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just... I don't know what you do if you're in his position, if you're a player who wants, in theory, to be part of one franchise for your whole career, and you're sort of backed into a corner in terms of, you know, like, 
the roster is only so flexible and you've tried with these guys, they don't work anymore. And everyone's not like, you're trying to trade them and who like, what's the real trade market for CJ McCollum and what do you do with Nurkic and Covington? And it's like, there's so many problems with trying to make the, the, the quote unquote super team work around uh, Lillard in Portland. And you obviously run the risk of, Hey, let's try to appease Damian Lillard for obvious reasons. And you start shuffling the pieces around and you just end up with another team that doesn't work that actually has less value because you're taking on less value like in these trades and then you're you screwed up your future and then he wants out anyway and all that. So like both positions are just in a terrible side with this. Yeah, I, I think Lillard is is kind of finally reaping the effects of of you know making himself the public uh, you know, anti-super team guy. It's like, you, you can go, <laughs> right. it, it sounds all well and good, you know, when you're criticizing other players for for doing that. But when your time comes, when you want to win, I, I think you kind of realize like, oh, I, maybe I now see why Paul George did that. Or I, I see why LeBron or Kevin Durant did that. Um, so he's kind of backed himself into a corner. Uh, what I told James on Monday is like, if I'm Dame, I, I think you just kind of have to eat the short-term PR hit. You know, James brought up James Harden. And he's like, does anybody in Houston hate James Harden anymore? Like, has anyone heard anything about, people being down on James Harden for the decision to leave Houston. Right. Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, that lasted like three weeks and everybody was like, oh, cool. He's on the Nets now. That'll be fun. And I, I think, you know, Dame has such a relationship in Portland that maybe maybe locally that would last longer and, and that would sting, you know, in the long term. Who knows? But I, I think I think nationally it would be a huge story in the short term, like it always is. And, you know, especially if you go somewhere else and have more success, all that stuff fades away pretty quickly. Yeah, and especially if you are upfront about wanting to leave and like he's all intents and purposes, like he's been extremely committed to the organization, probably more committed to the organization than Harden was in Houston just overall. And so if you, you know, even Harden, who, again, was like pretty uh, he, he rubbed people the wrong way with the way he left. He still went to the organization and was like, please trade me. Um, I don't, I don't want to play here anymore. I'm giving you guys the benefit or not the benefit of the doubt, but just, I'm letting you know, Dave could do the same thing. And you're right. Like maybe he takes a small PR hit and maybe people in Portland are kind of salty about it for a while. And understandably, if you're a fan of the Blazers, um, but I, I just, yeah, I, I, I agree with you is, is what I'm coming down to where it's like, yeah, it, in the short term, it's not great, but like nobody, nobody is talking about how like Harden went out and like, party during coronavirus anymore like that that felt like the biggest story in the entire world in the nba world for like a week um there's like all people were talking about how irresponsible hargan is and always he's making a joke out of the league and all this and like no one has even mentioned that or brought that no one's going to tack that to his legacy ever um so i think the same thing could be said for what lillard decides to do First time LeBron went back to Cleveland, he had batteries thrown at him from the crowd. The second time he went back, somebody ran on the court with a sign begging him to come back home. And <laughs> four, four years later, he's back in Cleveland and everybody's hailing him as a hero and basically completely forgot that he ever left in the first place. Like if, if LeBron could come back from that, Dame could come back uh, from leaving Portland. I mean, the other thing is like it's it's just really hard to be the one city for my entire career guy. Right. Like how many how many guys has that really worked out for? Um, it's like modern example, Steph, it looks like it's probably heading that way and that's going to work out for him pretty well. Um, you know, I, I guess like Magic Johnson, um, although he, you know, his career kind of ended a little bit earlier. We, we never maybe got to see like the sad couple stops that would have happened there. Uh, but you know, like Reggie Miller in Indiana, like he had a chance to jump right. to the Lakers in the early nineties and, and didn't take it, opted to stay in Indiana and, and never got over the hump. 
Um, you know, even even like Dwayne Wade in Miami, obviously he won championship before LeBron, won a couple with LeBron, but you know he seemed like a heat lifer, and all of a sudden he ends up on the Bulls, and then he's on the Cavs, and like it's it's just really really hard to to kind of be that guy, and and you know you just have limited control, even though you're the man and you're the main player decision maker with that franchise. You know when you when you open up your you know your your like pool of ideas to like oh I could go to 29 other teams, um, you know things things open up for you quite a bit. You know there, there's a reason that most like big time free agents have a list of like four or five teams because usually there are a lot of appealing situations. And when you're just locking yourself into the same, you know, uh, like spot track page year after year after year, it's just the flexibility is not there. And, you know, for Portland, the other thing now is like it's a lot different when Damian Lillard was like 25, 26. I mean, as he moves into like 30, 31, 32, it's like you don't you don't really have the the room for error that you had five years ago, where it's like if this signing doesn't work out, that's all right. We'll we'll, we'll try it again next free agency. Like, I mean, every single season now becomes title or bust and. I mean, this this version of the Blazers, at least, is nowhere near the title end of that. No, not even not even close. I mean, I, I you know, I, I they have like fine potential, like they're going on offense, but I it's just it's not really worth getting into. They're obviously not going to win the title. I just I agree. Like, yeah, yeah, if you if you figure if Lillard stays around, it's like he's 31 right now. So any sort of like big shakeups you make have to basically be effective within the next like two to three years. Um, cause unless Lillard ends up having some sort of weird, like long-term career, like LeBron or, or Chris Paul, which I don't necessarily think is going to be the case, then, you know, his prime is going to end here relatively soon. Um, and you just, you're out of options quicker than, than you think. So I, yeah, it, the last thing- it, it probably is better for both sides at this point, if they kind of move on. I mean, there, I think, I think there is a really good opportunity for both sides to end up winners here I, I think you could get a lot for Damian Lillard and I think if you just move to sell off the rest of the roster you could get a decent amount too um and be in a really good spot you know it reminds me of a another Pacific Northwest situation which is what Russell Wilson has kind of been doing to the Seahawks for the last year and a half mm. of like you know threatening but not really threatening and just like wanting to make sure he doesn't come off as the villain but I actually want to stay but now actually I don't but if if I do want to leave then I want to make sure it's on my terms like it kind of feels like Dame and Russ are, are in that same situation where, you know, maintaining the image is, is a big part of uh, the negotiation. Whereas I think other players are, are much more willing to just kind of throw their short-term reputation out the window. And then, you know, like we talked about, inevitably uh, kind of build it back. The NBA season is underway and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo including their multi-entry contests, which are now shark-free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo's giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single-game contest of your choice throughout the week, then... Join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy slash welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research 
and focus on only the top-tier athletes who have the biggest impacts on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription. That will give you access to everything on our website, not just our NBA content, all of our other sports, a ton of value wrapped up in that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Here's how you can go about claiming your free RotoWire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Finally, step three, play in your first paid contest and then you'll receive that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Thrive Fantasy, check it out today. If there's one thing we appreciate here at RotoWire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with RotoWire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. Uh, let's transition over to the Indiana Pacers. There was a report in The Athletic uh, from Bob Kravitz and Sean Serenia earlier this week, uh, which used the exact dialogue, quote, the Pacers are receptive in trade dialogue with rival teams concerning Karis LeVert, Demontis Sabonis. Uh, and this was actually, I thought, kind of an interesting uh, semantic note here. Sabonis or Miles Turner. So, mm. I, you know, to me, I, I don't know that if there's like some you know, godfather deal out there or multiple deals that they wouldn't deal both of those guys. But I, I think it's interesting that they seem, they, they want to deal with Levert for sure. Uh, and then it, it seems like, you know, Turner or Sabonis, whichever one fetches the better offer. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I mean, I, if they really wanted to reap, I mean, if you get, if you could find a way to dump all three of those guys, I'm sure you could be in one of the better rebuilding positions in the NBA, just based on like potential return. Um, you know, I think the value of those guys is kind of like very cloudy. But still, um, yeah, I would understand, you know, wanting to build back around Sabonis or Turner. Um, I mean, Sabonis, Sabonis is more of like an actual building block and Turner because like Sabonis could keep you afloat enough. I think the fear if you keep Sabonis is that uh, if you're actually trying to tank, he might keep you out of the actual seller of of the worst teams in the NBA just because like the amount that he can do on the court. But if you keep Turner... Miles Turner is not going to save you from like losing a ton of games if he's the only person left on the mm-hmm. team with like Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and I don't even know what that's situ- they they can't trade Brogdon because they signed him to an extension, right? right. Is that kind of, so that that yep. complicates things as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, when you bring someone like Rick Carlisle in and it just still doesn't work and it just everything feels that stale still, I something is just like not going right. So it's understandable, I think, that they're moving in this direction. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, they're, they're 
I actually look back on on Monday's pod with James and like they they have not picked higher than 10th since like I think it was like the early 90s or maybe even later than that like they they've been like firmly in Herb Cole Bucks mode yeah for a very long time here and you know I, I think their owner is like 87 years old and that, that was there was a little note about that in the article that he's like finally okay with the rebuild it's like all right I mean I'm, I'm, is this 87 year old guy like all right now that I'm 87 we could finally rebuild <laughs> I, I'm just wondering like what the control situation is there but yeah I mean it seems like this is probably something that the organization has wanted to do for a long time uh, but ownership has not signed off on and it's just really interesting because all three of these guys you know it's not like you're trying to trade Damian Lillard Kevin Love and like Tristan Thompson or something it's like these are all guys in their 20s who are, are in their athletic primes Sabonis is playing really well Turner's playing really well Lavert's having a down year but I don't think anyone is like out on him all of a sudden like you're you're trading three pretty good assets who are young enough that you could conceivably build around that core. So it's it's a unique situation in that a team has essentially identified that all these guys that we brought in thinking would be good together are not good together. So instead of playing it out like Portland, we're going to try to get out ahead of this and and get value, you know, a year or two earlier than most other teams would. Yeah, I mean I I don't mind this at all. Um like this is this is almost like if you draft a fantasy team and you've gone like three weeks and you're like, oh, this is not working. And you just try yeah. to meet you start immediately like dropping everybody and you start like asking for trades with everybody, every manager in your league. Um, I think it's kind of like that. And like, uh, you know, like you mentioned, these guys are the no one's being like super overpaid. They're all in their primes. Um, you know, I think Levert might be hard to move just because of his injury history. Like support, like they all, there's all reasons that they might be hard to move. I think, I think Turner is probably the easiest move just because he's a, you know, he's a, he's a center that can protect the rim and shoot threes. Um, the only problem being like so many teams already have a center that they're, that they're, you know, semi or very committed to, but Sabonis, mm-hmm. like you put that guy in your team, it, the way he plays, he like has to be like a second or a third option. Um, and Lavert is just, Injury prone. I mean, Levert's a perfect six man, but just the injury prone aspect of it, I think, makes it tough for a team to to really go all in. But there, are, I mean, plenty of teams in the NBA would like for the right offer get that like high level six man if it could push him over the edge into championship contention. Well, Levert needs to play more like he did last season when he was a twenty point per game, five assists, almost five rebounds, um, you know, 44, 33, 81 shooting line. I mean, he's shooting forty two percent from the field and twenty six percent from three on the year, only averaging 14.9 points per game. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of selling low, I guess, on Levert. But again, I, I don't think too many teams are, are just out on him after 18 games. But you, you're definitely selling high on Sabonis. And, and I think you're kind of selling at the same level that Miles Turner's been at these last couple of years. I mean, he remains a a, a really valuable shot blocker. Um, do, do you have any teams or or like potential deals that you kind of like or, or, or landing spots for any of these guys? Um. Well, I do want to bring up, I sent you this trade. There's a website called Fanspo where people can like, it's basically the ESPN trade machine, but like easier to use and you can share. It's like kind of also social media. Uh, Someone posted a three team trade between the Pacers, 76ers and Raptors. And I do think like these Uh, are three teams that I would like uh, to, I would just like to note that the, this trade was described as electrifying and I think it lives up to that. Yeah, electrifying three-team six-player trade where everyone wins is the name of this post by uh, Andrew Watto. Uh, I want to give him at least credit. So this is one sure. where uh, the Pacers give up Karis LeVert, Miles Turner, and a first-round protected pick, and they get back Pascal Siakam and Shake Milton. 
and the 76ers give up, obviously, Shake Milton and Ben Simmons, and they get back Karis LeVert and Fred Van Vliet. The Raptors obviously give up Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and are sending a first to the 76ers, and the Raptors get Miles Turner and Ben Simmons. Um, like, to me, that was interesting. I mean, there, there are a lot of, like, different factors going into this one. I'm not sure the picks are going to the right place, but the Pacers turning Levert and, and Turner into Siakam is I, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, I think, I think it at least gives them like a significantly different look as a team allows them to do different stuff. You're committed to Sabonis at center. Um, 76ers. I mean, the 76ers getting Van Vliet and Levert. That's a really nice haul. Um, I think, I think that's something where you can sell that to the fans. And then the Raptors, you get Turner and Simmons, which is obviously like huge. And you can kind of say like, Hey, like, Simmons hasn't worked in other spots. He hasn't worked with Embiid, but we have a legitimate stretch five in Miles Turner now, so we don't have to worry about the floor spacing issue. And he kind of fits the mold of their team of like we have, uh, you know, these like super tall defensive guys who are all around players. You know, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi. This trade, I don't think it's perfect, but it's really intriguing to me, and I think like the framework of this makes sense. I think the idea of the Raptors getting a big man who yeah, that's by far their biggest area of need. Yes. I like that. I, I, I wonder how willing they would be to give up Fred Van Vliet, who is on a really good contract for the next three years, you know, under 20 mil uh, annual value. And, and it's been really good for them lately. Uh, but it is the Raptors and it, it is besides. So I, I, anything is possible. I don't think he's like off the board here. Um, and just for just for clarity. So to run down like what each team would be receiving here, the Pacers get Siakam and Shake Milton. The Raptors get Miles Turner and Ben Simmons. The Sixers get Karis LeVert, Fred Van Vliet, and two first-round picks, one from the Pacers and one from the Raptors. Raptors would be lottery protected in this scenario. Pacers would be top 10 protected. I I, I almost think the Pacers would would get one of those picks, yeah. um, or maybe the Raptors would get one of those picks. Like I, I don't know that the Sixers, given what Ben Simmons' value is right now, and you know, to me, Shake Milton is like a, you know, he's kind of a whatever player. He he couldn't even win the starting point guard job uh, <laughs> right. over Tyrese Maxey, who's been fine. So like to me, that's not like you're not giving up a value or something that would command like an extra pick. Um, like so, the Pacers are giving up Van Vliet, Miles Turner, and a first round pick for Siakam and Shake Milton. Like to me, I think one of those picks ends up probably going to Indiana here. Like there, that's probably the the team that I think gets the least out of this. And you know, like Siakam, Sabonis in the front court. I don't know. I don't really know what the idea is there. I, I think it could work. I think defensively, you would potentially have some issues. You're essentially asking Sabonis now to be your center, and I, I don't really know if that's the best idea. So this this would create a shakeup certainly for Indiana, but you know you're also bringing in a guy who is like similar age and similar contract to the players that you're trying to get rid of in Siakam. So it, it feels like a reset, and and maybe it could work, but it, it doesn't really feel like you're entering a rebuild to me. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a world. I mean, maybe the Pacers get Tyrese Maxey instead of Shake Milton. I mean, if you're the 76ers and you're getting yeah. Van Vliet and Lavert, like I, obviously you want to keep Maxey, but you don't, you don't really feel like that committed to him at that point. So maybe if the Pacers get Maxey instead, or they get to keep their pick, or both, sure. Then yeah, I think I think then there's something to be said about that. But I agree with you where it's like it kind of feels like they're giving up. Uh, like they're not, their position isn't really that different in getting Siakam. Like that would be more of like a short-term shakeup rather than a rebuild. Right. Like I, I think, especially with how Levert's playing this year, it's like Levert plus Turner is probably on aggregate, like slightly worse than Siakam. 
but like that's not really what I'm trying to get. It's like I, if I'm a if I'm a Pacers fan, I'm not like super fired up to get Pascal Siakam and pair him with Demontis Sabonis. You know, like, again, it's it's a nice shakeup. It, it could work, but I, I it's not like I'm getting this dynamic young player or this huge package of picks that you know are, are going to buoy me for the next five years, or I can patch, repackage those picks at some point. Like I, I think to see the other team in the deal get Ben Simmons, you know, if you're the Pacers, you're like I, I think I'd rather have that guy than than the two guys that we end up with. Yeah, I mean, the, the Pacers as a destination for Ben Simmons is interesting just because, I mean, and that that would make the most sense if you were trading Sabonis because you have Miles right. Turner as the stretch five, but you're not sending Sabonis to Philly. I'm just, if I'm Philly, I just can't, I can't put Sabonis with Embiid. To me, that's just like, that doesn't make any sense. That makes just as little sense as having Ben Simmons with Embiid. Um, so I think there would be have to be a third team involved there, but. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a play for, for Simmons. Yeah. The Embiid factor, it, it does kind of make it tough to find a player who you feel really good about fitting in Philly. It's because I like Simmons for Sabonis almost straight up. I kind of like that framework of it, but then when you consider the Sabonis Embiid fit, you know, it makes you a little less excited. It's like it, for Philly, if, if you're, if you're going to do like star for star Simmons for another star, it feels like that star has to be a wing or a guard. Yeah. I mean, could you. Could there be a scenario where you just end up where basically these same three teams are involved, but you're sending Sabonis to the Raptors and then Philly gets Van Vliet somehow? I mean, I, I do like that. I like that a lot. I, Van Vliet in Philly or Lillard in Philly, I think would be ideal. Yeah, I think I think there's something to be had there where mm-hmm. Sabonis feels very much like a Raptors player. He fits the mold of the team on selfish guys. You can do a little bit of everything. Um, and I think a lot of those, the thing about Sabonis on Toronto is obviously like, he's not a great rim protector, not great defensively, but they have so many great other defensive presences that it could be like a situation in Chicago where it's like, yeah, Vucevic isn't great defensively, mm-hmm. but you just put a bunch of guys in front of them who can, who can keep their, their, their guys in front of them. And like, nobody's getting to the rim for them to have to block a shot in the first place. Right. Right. I mean, it, debating like, who would you rather have Siakam versus Sabonis to be is really interesting. I, I think. I think I would slightly lean Sabonis, but I, I just don't know if that's enough of a difference maker for either team. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, they're they are they're very different players, but you're kind of getting the same. Like, I, I just it, to me, it's still very clear on where both of them stand on. Like, I mean, Siakam already has a title, right? So mm-hmm. we kind of know where he stands as like he's either like a a second or a third option, I guess, potentially, which is where Sabonis is. But um, their values to me are, are a little confusing, which is why it's like you kind of want to trade them for each other because they they feel similar, but I, I'm not really sure. All right, so I, I came up with a few other trades involving these Pacers guys. Uh, I would not describe them as electrifying. They're not nearly okay. as electrifying as the one we discussed. Um, they're probably like a probably like a three to six out of ten on the electrification <laughs> scale. Um, but I, I want to start with one involving Levert, and it, you're sending him to a team that I, I think. Given where they stand right now, um, one game over 500, kind of kind of scuffling, you know, looking a little bit disjointed. They've had some injuries, uh, but a team that I think has been a little bit overdue for a consolidation, you know, three for one type of trade. I'm going to send Karis LeVert to the Atlanta Hawks for Cam Reddish, Jalen Johnson, DeLon Wright, and a protected first round pick. Uh, Reddish, Jalen Johnson, and just like filler, basically? DeLon Wright's the filler here, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think is 
Is Reddish enough of a draw for you? I'm not really a Reddish guy. Um, okay. Like, he's just, I don't know. His offense is not not coming along. I mean, he's, he's shooting threes well this year, I guess. Like he's carrying over from the playoffs. Um, I'm just not that high on Reddish, but I think if you are, if you're Indiana and you are just trying to kind of get rid of the, the Levert salary to some extent, like you don't really want to deal with that anymore and you can get a, an interesting young prospect. Sure. Um, the only problem is like, you definitely risk getting reddish and then him not playing up to your expectations. Then you immediately having to make a decision on whether or not to extend him, um, after next year. And then you could kind of end up with nothing. Um, Jalen Johnson is like interesting to me and there's like filler to be had, but, um, that to me is almost more of like a salary dump. I mean, I love it for Atlanta. You get Levert. I mean, you're, you're stacked. I mean, that the, the amount of offense Atlanta would have would be awesome. Right. So I think to me, that's like a no brainer for Atlanta. Um, but I think I'd need more if I was Indiana. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I expected. I mean, it, it totally depends how you feel about Cam Reddish. And I think probably half the league would say absolutely not. And maybe the other half would be a little more intrigued. Uh, you're getting five years younger going from Levert to Reddish. So that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Reddish is, is already now in his third season and you have that decision coming up, that does complicate things a little bit. Uh, I have a couple of Miles Turner trades for you. So first, yeah. Miles Turner to the New York Knicks for Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly, Kemba Walker, and, and potentially a first-round pick. I, maybe you have to throw the first in. We'll see. Yeah, I think uh, that's interesting. I think you you definitely – I mean, the, the centerpiece of that deal is essentially Quickly – or, I think if you're Robinson, Indiana, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know how I feel about Mitchell. Or is Robinson it Kemba? Right <laughs> Kemba? And Kemba has to be included for for the salary, of course. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that is one you should explore if you're if you're Indiana because you still are getting you still keep the the rim protection to kind of save Sabonis from doing that. Um. And you are getting a a good young point guard in quickly. That if you like, if you want to keep Brogdon and kind of move forward with the shakeup, that works. If you want to dump Brogdon next year and move forward with quickly and whatever, whatever else you can get, then yeah. Um, I think if I'm Indiana, I do want I do want some sort of picks with that. But for New York, yeah, I mean I think they need to figure out like the the Mitchell Robinson Nerlens Noel situation it's like completely fine for the regular season but they like need something of actual substance there i think to make right. real noise and turner um i think turner would would be great for them it feels like noel and mitchell robinson just trade off having a sprained ankle every game yeah. and it's like whoever whoever's ankle isn't sprained starts and plays 27 minutes and then that guy gets hurt and then it's the other guy for the next game like it does feel like it's been the same song and dance for a little too long there um, so that, that is some of the thinking here is, is you, you kind of, you get just like a souped up version of both of those guys combined in, in miles Turner and you, you kind of rid yourself of some of the injury issues that you've been dealing with, at least in theory. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. The only, I think the only issue with that is like, if you are Indiana and you have to like sell these traits to your fan base, I don't know if that's like an easy one to be like, Hey, we got a manual quickly and like Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. I, like I think I think that's, see, that's where Kemba Walker comes in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, th- I think that's maybe, you know, if you're the Knicks, you're, you're attaching the pick essentially to pay Indiana for taking Kemba Walker. And, you know, Indiana, in theory, if, if you're entering this rebuild, you know, you're, you're kind of the type of team that might take on uh, a Kemba Walker sad yeah. two-year contract at this point in his career. So, yeah, just, just an idea there. I, I think the thinking, too, is, you know, Emmanuel quickly has been in this, like, pretty weird role with the Knicks where, you know, he'll play 21 minutes one night, 15 the next. He's out of the rotation the next night. Then he's starting. Like, I, I think there's a thought that in a more secure role uh, with a team that can maybe offer him, you know, closer to 30 minutes most nights, like, you, you might see an even better version of the player that we saw in New York. So you're kind of you're, you're really buying in on the upside on quickly if, if you're taking this deal as the Pacers. Yeah, I agree. I mean, quickly, I would love to see quickly in a bigger role, oh. but. Okay, another Miles Turner deal. Uh, I, this one, uh, variations of this at least have been kicked around before, so this is nothing groundbreaking. But Miles Turner and Torrey Craig to the Golden State Warriors for James Wiseman, Kavon Looney, and either Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody. I knew this Too was much? coming. Not enough. Um, I think if you're Indiana, I mean, if you can get if you can get Wiseman and Kaminga for Miles Turner, I think you feel like you ripped off Golden State. That's my opinion. Yes. Like just. Yeah, I know people are low on Wiseman, but if you're in a rebuild and like you're jumpstarting your rebuild with those two guys, you're like, man, like we we're in a good spot. So I think if you're Golden State, you can you 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 resist giving up Kaminga. I don't I mean, Miles Turner does fit way better with the with the Warriors than than uh Wiseman does. I think I'm okay with it, but just like I still think the problem with that deal in theory is the optics of giving up James Wiseman, who you drafted so high for like Miles Turner, who has extremely low name recognition, like no, you know, none of that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, you're already so good. It's like I, you would just almost rather be like, hey, we're focused on the next two years right now. Right. right? Like we're so good exactly. right now. We're go- we're about to get Clay back. We really only care about winning a title within the next two or three years while these guys are basically like it, leaving their primes. So we're not that worried about giving up Wiseman, and I exactly. think our fans will forgive us ultimately. Right. This this is like a a souped down version of the Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love trade. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> this is this is like we have assets that we like, but we really think if this goes right, we could win the next two titles and potentially you know the next you know, be be in contention for the next three to four years here. So you're you're understanding as Golden State, like especially if it's Kaminga and Wiseman, like I, I understand that's a pretty big price to pay and. I mean, there's a chance that, I mean, if, if Indiana's really high on Wiseman, maybe maybe you don't even have to include one of those guys and you can get away with, you know, a lesser package of picks or something like that. But, I mean, if you're Indiana, obviously you're asking for at least one of those guys. But I, I do I do kind of agree with you that flipping Wiseman and Kaminga for Miles Turner would feel pretty underwhelming, even if he's, like, kind of a perfect fit, I think, for this team and, and would really help. I, I, I think, like, there were like grander illusions of like, we're trading these guys for Giannis. And then all of a sudden the deal happens and it's Miles Turner. Right. And, but I mean, the good, a good thing about Miles Turner, at least is he's not going to come in and like, think he's some like part of the offense that. He right. Is. That's what I'm saying. He'd be such a perfect fit. It's it's so hard to value that, that type of player, you know, and, it, and it's, especially when you're talking about a player like Wiseman, who we have no idea if he's actually good or not. Yeah. And like Wiseman and Sabonis don't really fit together either. Although Sabong is shooting more threes now. But at least, I mean, if you're Indiana, you have to take a flyer on that. I think, I, I still think if it comes down to Kaminga that they, I don't think they do it. Because Kaminga to me almost feels like Clay Thompson insurance. Where sure. if Clay just can't get back into that form, 
that he's like that lockdown defender. It's like they kind of have wise or the Kaminga in their back pocket just in case. And like Jordan sure. Poole is kind of there too to make up for some of that. But um, well, that was yeah. another consideration for me. If you're if you're the Warriors, do you have more trouble parting ways with Kaminga or Jordan Poole? Because that you know you could potentially sub him in for for one of those rookies. Yeah, I was kind of debating that in my head myself because Poole is so nice to have as like the bench microwave guy that mm-hmm. um, you may not want to get rid of him. But at the same time, like Kaminga is a good enough defender where you figure like, I mean, you know, if you're really competing for a title, like Curry's going to be on the court for 42 minutes a game anyway. Yeah. Like, are we, should we just punt those, you know, those six minutes that he's off the court? Like, why do we even really need pool out here? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, that's tough too, but I think, I don't know which one they would do. Honestly, It's, it's tough to say. I mean, and you have to keep in mind, if you want to get something of value, like Miles Turner, you have to give up value. It's like you can't you can't keep all the guys you want to keep and just say, like, <laughs> eh, what, what about Moses Moody and, and Kevon Looney in the second rounder? Does that get it done? Like, we'd actually rather not trade any of our good players. Like, look, if you're trying to get one of the best defensive floor spacing centers in the league, you got to give up something of value in, in order to do that. So, it, I mean, we'll see if uh, chances are, you know, Golden State is, is pretty happy with the group they have. And especially if Clay comes back, uh, I think they probably just roll with that. But. Uh, we'll see if they have to cross that bridge. All right, I have one more for you. It's a three-teamer. And I, I want to get out in front of this and say, I don't feel good about it. I, I think there's a chance <laughs> that you're just going to be like, why did you even put this together? Like, what were you doing this afternoon? Uh, but here we go. The Indiana Pacers get Kyle Kuzma, Denny Abdia, Javian Mitchell, and two protected Wizards first-round picks. The Wizards get Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald. The Kings get DeMontis Sabonis, Raul Neto, and they have to eat the Davis Bertans contract. <laughs> the Bertans contract. So um, that's that, that's where, where these Wizards first round picks come in, because that, that is not a contract that you want on your books for the next four years. So, uh, I mean, I do like the idea of the Wizards just kind of uh, just going for it. Because if as long as Be- exactly. like as long as Beal says he wants to be there, it's like you just kind of have to keep doing this um, until he decides he doesn't want to be there anymore. So Heald and Barnes is interesting. Not married enough right. to Kuzma. Um, who's Indiana getting again? They're getting Avdia and Dav- Kuzma, Davian Mitchell, and then two picks mm. from the Wizards. So in in this scenario, I even went as far as to map out the potential starting lineup. So in this scenario, you're then starting Malcolm Brogdon, Davian Mitchell. Karis Levert, Kyle Kuzma, Miles Turner. And then, of course, you know, if you want to trade Levert and, and flip that into something else, you can. Uh, maybe Cam Reddish. Who knows? Uh, the Kings, in this case, then are starting Fox, Halliburton, Harkless, Sabonis, Holmes. And the Wizards are starting Dinwiddie, Beal, Heald, Harrison Barnes, and then take your pick of Montres Harrell, Daniel Gafford, Thomas Bryant. Right. Yeah, if I'm Indiana there, I mean... So many, I, I keep thinking like part of the problem with this, like Indiana rebuild is they're they're wanting to rebuild, but they're, they want to keep like one of Sabonis or Turner and they're going to end up with Brogdon still. So they're still going to be a competitive team. Like, are they really tanking? Right. Um, but the Dav- contract in retrospect doesn't make a ton of sense. No, it does not. Um, but getting Davion Mitchell is a plus and if you're getting picks there, so that's nice. Um, so that's something to kind of headline the trade. I don't really know how, what they do with Kuzma. I'm still like really confused about Kuzma's value in general. Um, that one's interesting to me 
I would I would almost have to like more see that one on paper, but Sabonis on yeah, Sabonis on Sacramento. I'd be worried about the floor spacing, I think, because Holmes isn't shooting threes and Fox can't shoot and you're losing healed. So I feel like they could enter like this horrible floor spacing situation, but they're already in a relatively bad situation. Yeah, so, so you always have to keep in mind it is the Kings. So yeah, you know, most teams would think about that. I'm not sure they would. True. Um, but hey, I mean, maybe there's a world in that they they trade Fox too, and they just like really completely sure. switch up the DNA of the team around Sabonis, which I think is like not an awful idea. But um, yeah, I think there's something there. I, I think I like at least for the Pacers. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just it's kind of again, Sabonis is a tough player to value based on some of his shortcomings. Uh, you know, the case for this deal is you're getting two recent lottery picks, two recent top ten picks in Avdia and David Mitchell, but, you know, neither of those guys have looked like superstars by any means, you know, but Avdia at this point, you're like, if he, if he becomes like a really good role player, you're fine with that. You know, Mitchell uh, still a little too early to tell us, but it's neither of those guys are blue chip pieces by any means. Um, and Kuzma, you know, a, a decent young player on a, on, a, on a decent contract. I think you're fine with that. The question is what are the protections on these picks? You know, if, if they're, if they're like 2027 20, lightly protected or 2028, 20, whatever, you know, down the road, when, uh, the Wizards, who are in this case kind of going all in, might not, might not even be that good. But for the sake of argument, you know, I, I think the first round picks are probably the crown jewels of this. So I, you know, from that perspective, I don't like it. it. It would be like a lot of these deals. It would be a tough sell to the Pacers fan base because you're not really getting anything close to an A or even like B list guy in exchange for probably your best player right now in Sabonis. Yeah, to me that's why. To me that's why you need like that Wiseman slash Kaminga level get where it's like, hey, we we just need to bring someone in that the fans can be like, because if you're an Indiana fan, you're like, hey, we're getting Wiseman instead of uh, Turner. It's like, I'll, I'll take that, you know, um, like to me, that deal still makes the most sense. Um, yeah, I agree with you, though. I think Indiana needs something more there. OK, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I also compiled a list of a bunch of other players who I think could end up on the move at this deadline. Um, and I, I just want to kind of bounce a few of these names off of you. So this, this is my like upper tier category of, of guys who I think could be moved. And we're, we're I, I'm omitting like the Lillards and, um, you know, Beals and Simmons, I guess, of the world. Um, we're starting with guys who I think are a little more realistic. So Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood, John Wall, Buddy Heald, Yusuf Nurkic, Robert Covington, Siakam, Mitchell Robinson, Montrez Harrell. Any of those jump out as, as intriguing uh, pieces to you? That seems right. I mean, I think um, I think Christian Wood is someone that and Jeremy Grant, uh, both those guys are they just aren't. There's no reason for them to be on the teams that they're on. And I think that they could definitely be providing a good amount to whatever team they would end up on, Um, you know. Christian Wood is kind of in the, a problematic situation because again, like we've talked about how many, so, so many teams already have a center that they like, and he's not really a power forward. They've tried him at power forward. It's just not, I don't think it's his position. Um, So I think, I think there's moves to be had with him and Jeremy Grant, obviously he's not going to be like that kind of offensive. Like he's just going to end up in a role again. Like that's just a little more than he was in Denver. Right. Like that's again, we're just, we're kind of right back to square one with him where it's like, okay, cool. Like you've upgraded yourself from a 
from a fifth option to a fourth option because you proved you can dribble a little bit. Um, so I think those guys are are I would not be surprised if they got moved and not even for like that much in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the reason that these names are on that list for me is contracts. You know, a lot of those guys are either expirings or you know they're, they're very tradable contracts. Of course, with the exception of John Wall, I have no idea what's going to happen with that situation. Uh, in terms of lower end guys, I have Kemba Walker, Tristan Thompson, Marvin Bagley, Thaddeus Young, who I think is like minus 5,000 to get traded at the deadline. Yeah. Uh, Derek Favors, Thomas Sadoransky, Terrence Ross, Robin Lopez. Um, and I, I have Bertans on the list, like extremely untradeable, but I think the Wizards will be doing everything in their power to attempt to move him uh, if the right deal is there. I, I also was horrified to discover in my research here that the Thunder are still paying Kyle Singler almost $1 million, not this season, but through next season. They owe him like 900 something thousand dollars in 22-23. I forgot about Kyle Singler entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I worked really hard to forget about him. And, you know, I was reminded today. Right. Yeah, Thad Young seems like he, I mean, he's a trade or a buyout guy. He keeps getting, um, his name keeps getting brought up with like the Bulls, which I think makes sense given their play style right. and their lack of bet depth. Same with Terrence Ross. Um, I think he'd be great on the Bulls or really any your team that kind of needs like a six man. I think he could end up definitely being moved at the deadline. I am fascinated by Bagley um, just because like it's clear it's not going to work out in Sacramento. But if a team trades for him, they're almost they're basically committing. I mean, you get his you get his um, his rights so you can at least see what other teams are going to offer him, decide whether or not to match it. You know, to me, he was someone that, like, I figured maybe OKC takes, like, a flyer on because, like, he's better than Isaiah Roby and, like, any of the Like, he would be their best big. Um, So, I mean, there's a world maybe where he gets dealt there and OKC explores it. But, again, they don't I, – I just don't know what team wants to – would, like, end up with Marvin Bagley next year. You know, I think even if you're trading for him, it's like, do we really have any interest whatsoever in committing long term to this guy? It's just I, I don't really know how you value him at all. I mean, he's kind of the potential future version of James Wiseman, right, where it's like there, there is a path where James Wiseman becomes the next Marvin Bagley, where it's just injuries and, you know, he's kind of not the right fit. But at least with Wiseman, there there are physical tools that I think are going to as long as he's like relatively healthy there, like every team is going to think we could be the team you know, that can, that can fix this guy. And, and again, there's probably, there's a decent chance that he comes back and looks pretty good for the Warriors this year. Maybe they are that team and maybe that narrative ends up fading away. That's very possible. But, you know, with, with uh, Marvin Bagley, like everybody kind of saw this coming a mile away, even before the draft, it was like, please don't take him. Please don't take him. This is going to be a disaster. And here we are like with with Bagley. I mean, this almost feels closer to like Jabari Parker. Yeah. At this point where it's like if he if he doesn't get traded and doesn't get another chance to really show himself this year. I mean, I, I think we're just going to start seeing him pop up as like, oh, Marvin Bagley signs a non-guaranteed deal with the Bulls and he's gone three weeks later. Like it, it does kind of feel like it's heading that way for him. I think the Jabari Parker comp is perfect. Something like clicked in my brain when you said that. That is exactly what is going <laughs> on. It's like he's played 127 NBA games and this is his fourth yeah. season. Um, everyone's like, yeah, he can like kind of score efficiently. Like, it's like, oh, he's scoring 14 a game on 50% shooting. It's like, oh, well, he's twice as many turnovers as assists. He's doing literally nothing on defense. Um, like no one's that excited. Like when he's on the court, um, yeah, this is, yeah, this is the Jabari situation. 
100%. To be fair to Jabari, he was definitely better when healthy. Like, he had, he had oh, a year yeah. where he played 51 games and averaged 26, three assists, one steal, 49% from the field, 37% from three. Like, he was legitimately good before, I think that was his second ACL tear in 2016-17. And then right. after that is when when the uh, I don't really need to play defense comments started, and it was kind of a, a quick downhill from there. But even with all that, the Bulls still gave him, what, 40 mil, right? Didn't they sign, like, a two for 40? It was a two for 40 with a team option as the second year, I think. Right. Still, but, and like the Bucks were not willing to 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 go with that, which which says a lot. But still, the, just the, like there's not going to be a team lining up to give Marvin Bagley that contract. No, I could see Marvin Bagley with like a two for twenty and the second year's a team option, <laughs> like uh, basically the maybe. same contract as Jabari, but like half as much money or something like yeah. that. Where it's like there's basically no risk for the team that that is giving yeah. him a chance. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, tell you what, it it is good to be a top five pick. Like, that buys you so much more longevity. If he was picked six picks later, I, I don't even know if he's on a roster right now. Like, what, you know, whether whether it was the right or the wrong pick, like, just having that in your bio buys you so much more time than someone who was drafted in the middle of the first round. 100%. I mean, it's, Jabari's still kicking. Like, you still get yeah. minutes now and then for the for the Celtics. We, we wrote a note about him today for Rotowire. I mean, he's only 26 still, Jabari is. But you were, you were right. When Jabari was right, he was... Like a legitimately tough player He's to guard. Good. It was just that his defensive mistakes were so obvious, like like you could see them on the screen from your television yeah. in real time, which is how you know someone's a bad defender when like you're watching a real time NBA game and you're like, that's wrong defensively. Yeah. Like when it's that obvious, you know it's it's bad because most of the time. And then the player doubles down by saying, like, yes, you're you are correct. I was not trying <laughs> on defense, and I also don't need to try on defense. I, I maintain that Jabari Parker would have been like a seven time all star if he came into the league in like nineteen ninety two. He would have he would have been just the perfect like you know 45 win team like he's just putting up crazy numbers kind of a Glenn Robinson yeah. type um, you know never never really going to have a ton of like team success but would have had a ton of individual success if he if he had come along a little earlier and stayed a little healthier um, all right I want I want to touch on just a couple quick items before we head out I'd be remiss if we not mentioned that Zion Williamson is reportedly 330 pounds. Right now, uh, that that came via Tim McMahon of ESPN earlier this week, who just casually dropped that on a podcast. Three hundred thirty pounds is a lot of pounds, dude. It is. Um, I th- you tweeted that it was more than Shaq is listed at at Basketball Reference. Allegedly, right? Shaq's listed at right. three twenty-five, and Shaq is also seven foot one. Zion is like <laughs> six seven, six eight. Zion may actually be six five. Um, I, man. I know it's hard to know what to believe, but the fact that like you can just come on a podcast and be like, yeah, he's like three thirty, and like not even really, it's not you're not having to like hedge a ton of stuff or like say, well, oh, he was at one point this. It's like no, you mm. you know he's three thirty, like for sure. Um, that's crazy to me. Um, I I just don't know what to make of it. I honestly like I I just if he the thing is if he had never gotten hurt. Like, if this was a version of Zion Williamson that never tore his meniscus, he never broke his foot, and he was, like, working out and got up to 330, like, we'd probably all still be concerned, but we'd be like, this is awesome. And we got a six-foot, 330 guy doing 360 dunks. Like, give, I want more of this. I hope he gets heavier. But the fact that he's dealing with injuries, obviously, is is the concern. Because otherwise, uh, it'd be foot great. Injury specifically. Foot injuries specifically. Foot injuries specifically. And I know, like... You know, everyone saw that picture of him in like the red jumpsuit looking just wide. 
Um, and then, you know, a lot of people in the, like cut the comments will always post this one picture. Be like, well, how about this picture that was posted on Zion's Instagram two days ago? And it's like that, that looks like that filter that you can use to like squeeze your entire picture to make you look at like 10% oh, yeah. thinner. Um, but I, I don't know, man, it's just, this continues the trend of every update you get with Zion is either negative or if it's positive is followed up very quickly by a report that is negative. Um, and it, it, it holds true once again. You're definitely right that the way he's dressing is not doing him any favors. Like anybody, even if you're really skinny, if you wear like a Jordan sweatsuit, you're, you're not going to look like you're in like the greatest shape of all time. So right. there may be something there. Like he's, he's definitely not doing himself any favors. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime someone is like rumored to weigh a certain number, like that's almost never good. It's like the only time that was good is when people like LeBron would like weirdly not reveal his weight when he was like getting huge in Miami for some reason, he just like didn't want to put that figure out there. That was the only time that it was like a positive any other time that someone is rumored to be weighing X number of pounds. uh, It is not a good thing. So yeah, like you said, they, they, every single development we get seems to be negative uh, with the Zion thing. And, and Tim McMahon mentioned this in context of talking about Luka Doncic, who uh, apparently showed up to training camp in September at 260. And, you know, he's kind of a guy that these last few years has played himself into shape. I, I think the Mavs have hoped that as he's gotten older and, and the stakes have kind of gradually rose, that eventually this would no longer be the case. And I thought, like, the funniest point that McMahon pointed out is, like, this dude was, like, lighting up the Olympics. He was clearly in shape in the late summer when the Olympics were <laughs> happening. It's like, how much time did he have to put on this much weight? It, it really doesn't make sense. But I, I want to talk about this in context of Luca's fantasy stock. And, and, and Dodgers look pretty good. Last night, Mavs end up kind of blowing a late lead and losing uh, to Brooklyn. But he finished with 28, 9, and 6 in that game, had three three-pointers, got to the line eight times. Nonetheless, he ranks 93rd in nine-category total value coming into Wednesday night, uh, 56th in per-game value in nine-category leagues. So, of course, that is that is bringing into account you know 4.4 turnovers per game. But even if you kind of tweak the scoring settings to, to, to make it you know benefit Luka Doncic, He's still been a pretty big disappointment, I think. And a big part of that is, as we saw in the playoffs, he's sub 70% at the free throw line. The free throws, I think it just comes down to free throws. Um, I haven't done the, I'll try to do it right now as we're talking, but like if you were to punt free throws and turnovers, uh, where would Luka Doncic be in per game value? Um, And he would be 10th, just did the math. So yeah, obviously, like those are the those are the main things keeping him down right now. Um, we've seen this with other players as well. Obviously, Giannis, probably more notably LeBron, who is kind of like also this type of player where it's like, like Zion last year. Yeah, but just I, I mean, just like of a primary ball handler who's out there shooting like tons of threes. Like we know he's a good shooter, but for some like something's happening at the free throw line where it's like he, that 70 percent mark is you just have a hard time uh, getting above that hump and. I mean, maybe you can make the argument. It's like he's too heavy. He's like basically just gassed all game. You get to the free throw line. It's just like not working for him or it's a mental thing. I, I don't really know what to make of that because otherwise he's a, good, a pretty good shooter. Um, but yeah, I just, um, you know, there wasn't the, the the free throw was always going to be a concern. I understand why people drafted him top five, um, you know, especially when you like look at just via name recognition. But that was definitely under the assumption that he would improve his his free throw shooting. And that just hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if anything, it's gotten worse. And, you know, 
he's quietly one of those guys too that you think of as like a knockdown shooter um just because like when he's on like he can go eight of ten from three and they can all be high degree of difficulty but because he's taking so many threes from way behind the line or you know these contested step backs that are not exactly great looks he's down to 32 and a half percent from three and you know this is now his fourth nba season and starting with his rookie year he's been at 32.7 percent last season and now 32.5 um, so that, that's a guy, I mean, like it, it, Trey Young kind of went through this, like Devin Booker is another guy whose who's percentage is always lower than you think. Um, but for, you know, when you're taking, what is he up to now? Um, you know, you're over eight threes a game for the third straight season, you know, shooting those at 32% is going to end up damaging that free throw percentage quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the problem there. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, it seems like when he's getting one thing on track, something else falls off. Um, like you know, the past nine games, he's had 11 assists a game, but he's shooting 68% from the free throw line. And there'd be stretches where it's like, he's great from the free throw line, but then his assists fall off or he's not rebounding or his turnovers are up. It's like, it's not, it's not all coming together at once. Kind of like we, we envision Doncic as like this guy who, again, it's just like, he's good at everything. He's, the, he's, you know, basically like, uh, we're dubbing him like future best player in the league. It's just he's he's still having trouble. And obviously, like, he's 22. We have to give him slack. All Like, all that being said, he's just having a lot of trouble, like, putting it together for, like, five, like, not what not 10 straight games, but just five straight games of hit your free throws, decent three-point shooting, low turnovers. Um, and it's it's tough. And, um, you know, like, I think you can make arguments sometimes – like if it wasn't the free throw shooting and his other numbers were down, you could be like, well, the Jason Kidd system, like they're just not coherent. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with his free throw shooting. No, no, it doesn't. And I mean, it's going to take we're almost what 20 plus games into the year now. Like it's it's hard to reverse when you're shooting high 60s for essentially a third of the season. Like you, you kind of need to go on a pretty nice run the rest of the way uh, to raise that to to where fantasy managers want it to be. But uh, we'll see how that turns out. Dallas uh, back at it again at Memphis tonight. Uh, we got a 13-game slate to prepare for, Alex. So we could leave it off here. Uh, a ton of injuries around the league. I think we're looking at a potential uh, record-setting night in terms of injury notes written uh, on rotowire.com. So we got to go tend to that. But uh, you'll be back with Ken and Shannon on Friday.